0: Hey, everybody. Thank you very much for checking out the Paddle Woo podcast. I'm your host, Eric Antonsen. Today's guest is Eric Goodman, the founder of Foundation Training. He has trained the likes of Kelly Slater. Dane Reynolds spent a week with him, Lakey Peterson. Uh, Eric showed me a picture of him before Lakers final game seven a few years back, uh, the NBA finals. He was training Derek Fisher and Luke in the locker room before the game. So he knows what he's talking about and incredible athletes follow what he has to say. I hope that you do too. Eric helped me with uh, some back issues that I had a few years ago and overall posterior chain strength. And then last year he came down and helped me rework the way that I paddle uh, to be better on my frame. And it was a big change. We get into that in the show. You can learn that technique. This is an episode to pay attention to. There's a lot of lessons in this episode. You might want to listen to it two times. Definitely go through the show notes. Uh, I've listened to it three times now in producing the show, doing the show notes, and each time I've pulled out something new that I'm going to apply to my routine, to my training. The show notes are going to have links uh, to the foundation training, videos of the exercises, uh, and some of the kettlebell exercises that we discuss in the episode. It's only about 45 minutes. There is a lot of meat in it, so... Give it a listen. I know that you're going to enjoy it. It's the PaddleWoo Podcast. Dedicated to high-performance stand-up paddle surfing. Our mission is to debrief the visionaries, innovators, and athletes leading the charge to define paddle-enhanced surfing.
1: And here's your host, Eric Anderson.
0: Thank you guys so much for the positive feedback and the emails. I really appreciate it. It's taking a lot of time to do the show and the emails are stoking me out. Uh, So thank you. I just did a free PDF guide on how to do man hacks. If you'd like a copy of that, head on over to PaddleWoo.com, P-A-D-D-L-E-W-O-O.com. Sign up for the newsletter and I will send you the guide. Also, it's a great way to be the first to know when a new show is released. So I send out a newsletter every time a show is released. You'll be the first to listen to it. This episode is brought to you by Blue Zone Up. We just released camp dates for July. They start the 6th, the week of the 6th, and then the week of the 18th. I know that's late notice, but Oscar just had a baby last week. Congratulations, brother. Uh, and we needed to wait until that happened and to wait until the last date of the Costa Rica Stand Up Circuit was released, and that's been released now too. So those are the dates, the 6th and the 18th of July. If you want to come down, email me at eric E-R-I-K, at com for more information. All right, let's get into it. Eric Goodman is the guest today. He is the founder and inventor of Foundation Training and he knows more about how the body was designed to move than anyone I know. I am stoked he agreed to be here and to share this information with us for free at that. Uh, So if you like it, please spread his message and his exercises. Eric, thank you so much for being here. Please tell us about Foundation
1: Training. Hello audience, my name is Eric Goodman. I invented a program called Foundation Training. So what Foundation Training is, is this basic program that teaches people with only their body weight to move in isometric and dynamic postures that challenge the body tremendously. And as surfers or stand-up paddleboarders or swimmers or lifeguards or anybody that spends a lot of time in the ocean, you don't have much resistance against you. You want your body to be strong against itself. When you're swimming, when you're treading, when you're paddling, you want to have a lot of a, a deep connection with your muscles. Your body needs to be relatively balanced to stay afloat well. So foundation training has been extremely well-received re- well by the surf community from pros to grommets to veterans, and I'm here to talk about that.
0: Yeah, I've seen you uh, pictures training Julian Wilson and Kelly Slater, and I know you spent some time with Dane. Um, how did you kind of enter into that community and, and start training those guys?
1: The first one was actually uh, my first ever surfer that I worked with was Lakey Peterson, and she's still to this day- uses foundation training very very often probably on a daily basis um her sister is becoming one of our certified instructors in fact nice and she was our gateway it was uh it was because of two people Lakey Peterson and a guy named Tim Brown a lot of people in the surf community know and love this guy Dr Tim Brown uh, he's my hero, literally. Like I, I just love the dude. We've become friends over time, and it's the coolest thing. You go from being a, in chiropractic school, kind of hearing about this guy that's, you know, basically a legend in in the professional sports community, and then you get to work with him, and then he he actually really is the reason that foundation training is on the map in the surf community. Nice. Uh, Kelly Slater, Dane Reynolds. Uh, also, <laughs> oh, I can't even I can't even go over the names. A lot of people in the surf community have worked with me learned foundation training from me directly and have taken it upon themselves to share it within their community. Uh it started with Lakey then I think with Tim Brown's endorsement and Kelly Slater's endorsement and then the knowledge that Dane was doing it and guys like <laughs> Brad Gerlach and Taylor Knox and uh we have a guy named Johnny Gannon who is uh Taj Burrow's trainer of yep. many 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 years and just a l- great legend guy like really wonderful dude from Australia. And he actually is a certified instructor in really spearheading foundation training in Australia as well. And I don't know, man. It was sort of this perfect storm of life coming together to make sure that the surf community got foundation training. Let's talk
0: about why it's important to surfers right now, and, and let's talk about the imbalances of prone paddling. And so our audience here is, is – we're high-performance stand-up paddle surfing, but a lot of us have spent a lot of time on shortboards. Um, what are the imbalances – that happen when you spend a lot of time laying on your belly paddling.
1: All right. So for high, for high performance people, this is going to be performance enhancement. If you, if you take this advice really, and you listen to it and you go to the, the places that I ask you to go to and learn what I ask you to learn, you're going to become better at prone paddling and you're going to become better at stand up paddleboard. And I can right? attest
0: to this. So I've uh, just, just so the audience knows this, I have been a fan. I've known Eric now for what, four or five years. Yeah, well, probably probably almost five years yeah. And Eric shared foundation training with me. I have a bad back. Um, he shared it with me years ago, and I became close to asymptomatic after a few years. And now with the advent of stand-up paddle surfing, too, I am pretty much asymptomatic. And I still practice foundation training almost every day, and I love it. Um, but So start with that question again, Eric. Go through the imbalances and then um, what foundation training does to alleviate that.
1: If you think of what's going on in a prone belly you know, belly down paddling position, especially on a shorter, less buoyant board, we're hyperextending the middle of our spine, kind of just below the base of our rib cage to lift our shoulders and to look up. At the exact same time, we're, we're sort of pinching off the back of our neck, trying to gaze just above the horizon line, especially if we're paddling hard. There's an exercise called prone decompression that I teach. It's very specific. Uh, it's, it's on the web. It's free on YouTube. You literally just type in prone decompression, and it will take you to a four-minute video. Practice that four-minute video a few times a day. And what you're going to notice is that that area along the middle of the spine and the area along the base of your neck, the length of the back of your neck, is going to start becoming stronger as you learn to breathe a very specific way called decompression breathing. Decompression breathing is loved by surfers because it counters immediately the constricting nature of extension on the rib cage. When your lower back, mid back, upper back are pressed into each other, picture this. Everybody, as you're sitting in your chair or, or driving or standing, whatever you're doing, listening to this, lift up as if you're paddling and feel how it compresses somewhere between the low and middle of your spine. That makes it very challenging for your rib cage to move and expand as it's designed. And what, what kind of problems occur because of that compression? Okay. The compression that happens from that, that lifting up at the mid back, you see everything from, I mean, the basics are lower back pain, shoulder pain, neck pain. Those are like the easy symptoms to find. But what also ends up happening is there's these really important neural structures, nerves, and organs associated with those levels in the spine. This isn't like hippy-dippy BS. This is real physiology. The center of your spine is the conduction center, the messaging center for everything else in your body. And as we compress it frequently over time, it learns to operate from that compressed position. We have a decrease in lung function, a decrease in kidney function, a decrease in metabolism, a decrease in digestive function, because the messages and signals to the involuntary muscles associated with those organs and those areas are getting less effective and less efficient communication. It's cause and effect. Even though surfing is extremely good for us, it has to be balanced with other movements, not just longboarding, you know, not just like, boogie boarding. You've got to get up and move your whole body in a different pattern. You have to expand the backside of your body that is basically being constricted and compressed through paddling.
0: Now, stand-up paddling so, does that, correct?
1: Yeah. Well, stand-up paddling is among many things, if done correctly, that's a biggie, mm-hmm. because people have a tendency to kind of fall into their same pattern whatever they're doing. So you have to pay attention. You got to, you got to focus on how you're stand up paddling, but yes, it is a wonderful balancer. And let's
0: go into that later in the show here, because about a year and a half ago when you were down here, you retrained me how to paddle to have much better um, physical movement for my back. Um, And maybe we can talk about that later in the show because I think that would be of interest for everybody.
1: Well, it's a really, I mean, we can we can summarize it now and define it a little bit more later, Okay, but, all I taught you, you're a much better paddleboarder than I am. You're a much better surfer than I am. We have proven that many times, which is cool. You do it a lot more than I do. <laughs> the only different, but what I do a lot more than you do is I, I pay attention to movement patterns and biomechanics, and all we did was made your biomechanics a little bit more efficient. We made it so that your hips and your shoulders, while you were paddling and looking for strength, while you were reaching the paddle, the hips and shoulders moved away from each other to yep. lengthen the muscles you were about to use for the contraction. And then as you dig the paddle, the hips and shoulders come towards each other. What I see in most paddle boarders is a lack of hip motion and way too much abdominal contraction and pec contraction, like chest contraction. And it's just, you're using like 20% of the muscles in your body instead of like 80%. So you might as well learn how to use like 80%. Yep.
0: And what happened to me is I immediately after changing the way that I paddled, I started feeling the paddle in my hamstrings and glutes a lot more. And now a year later, I've put on about an inch on my uh, my thighs from it. I believe, pretty incredible considering um, that's pretty much all I've been doing.
1: But I there's a little line that I use. I do this in my certifications and in like you know when I do DVDs and stuff like that. You know, the muscles do one thing. They pull. If you want to get really efficient in a movement, learn how to get as many muscles as as possible pulling throughout that motion. Remember that the strongest muscles of your body are oriented around your pelvis. The core of your body is above and below the pelvis. That's where most movement comes from. So what we want to look at is how many of those muscles can we involve in the motion of paddling? And What you learned is how to get the biggest ones involved, which is actually very, very significant to high-performance paddlers. Yeah. No, it was incredible.
0: It was, a, it was one of the bigger steps that I've taken over the last couple of years in regards to paddling for sure. Um, now does prone paddling and stand up paddling if you can paddleboard correctly if you can stand up correctly and then still shortboard do those balance each other out do you need a lot of other training besides that if you're doing them correctly
1: i mean if you're doing them correctly you don't need much more if you're if you're prone paddling in a really broad powerful position using using the bigger muscles in the back and in the lats and in the, even in the abdomen to paddle well squeezing the knees together as you're paddling you know keeping your body aligned it's a very good thing for you. If you're then also paddleboarding, especially if you're paddleboarding like surfing and you're getting those high intensity kind of quick interval like paddles, it's great for you. But again, you got to be doing them correctly, using the hips, using the back side of the body more than the front side of the body to propel yourself. And if you're doing those together, man, you're doing great. You're you're going to be feeling very strong and looking very strong as well. Not big, but tight, strong, Bruce Lee style strong. Gotcha. Well, I, you know, there's the difference between
0: pretty muscles and and strong muscles. And I think that's a goal to be strong instead of
1: pretty, right? Yeah. It's like, you know, guys, I mean, we we both grew up in Florida, so we're kind of used to this guys in Florida. It's really cool to look big when you're like 16, 17, all the way up to about 24, 25. And then also sudden you're like, Oh yeah, that's right. This is terrible for me. I like <laughs> to be an ass. I don't want to be big. I got to shrink down and get strong because when you 're big, your body limits you your body makes it harder to do actions because ultimately every movement we do is lifting a limb moving a limb moving a body if your body's really big and heavy it 's going to suck to do most movements so you have to tighten up you 've got to like make your body toned and flexible with a lot of range of motion, but with equal amounts of flexibility and strength
0: How do you become incredibly strong without getting bigger. Because especially us who spend a lot of time on very small paddle boards, um it's difficult, you know. I I, I paddle at about one seventy five. If I'm one eighty, my boards don't work the same way. It's it's a pretty big difference. So how do you gain strength without gaining uh without gaining the mass associated
1: with it? Well, the first thing, nobody's going to be able to put on additional mass if they are burning too many calories. Like if they're if they're taking over, I'm sorry, if they're overtaking their caloric ex, their their caloric intake with expenditure. And paddleboarding's hard, you know, it, it burns quite a lot of calories if you're doing it intensely, especially if you're doing it often. So it's going to keep you pretty lean as it is. But it's really popular these days to go and train like CrossFit style and high intensity, high weight low repetition style and what that does is it it basically sets the body up for hypertrophy it sets the body up hormonally to grow makes testosterone very available it makes a lot of like growth hormones very available and these are natural these aren't steroids or anything like that this is what your body produces as a response to high intensity high weight training so it's it becomes sort of like a battle if you're contracting your muscles really hard against weights You're going to have to stretch them really hard to keep them long and lean when you're doing endurance type sports like paddling or surfing. So that's one way if you want to do that high intensity stuff, because I get it. I, I understand that people really love throwing weight around. They love throwing kettlebells around and lifting heavy weights. And even in the surf community, you know, people love it. So don't take that away. Just balance it so that it doesn't restrict you from doing what you love. Because each one of those movements that you do with more weight than you're used to is going to constrict your body. It's going to make it tighter and stronger, stronger at being tighter. Mm -hmm. So when you paddle, when you surf, you want to get longer. You want to lengthen the arms. You want to lengthen the chest. You want to lengthen the abdomen. You want to use the hip joints to stretch the hamstrings and to strengthen the lower back. Basically, the stuff that you don't do when you're doing deadlifts and squats and push-ups and bench presses and bicep curls and all of that stuff You got to do on the water. You got to use that time and that activity to lengthen and expand the muscles that were constricted and contracted during your workouts. Now, that's like the hard way. That's like, I think that's doing way too much. I think that's overtraining for most people, not for everybody, but for most people. So the better way to get really strong and to get really fit and improve your surfing and improve your paddling is to combine body weight movements with breathing and different methods of strengthening your body from the inside out. And breathing doesn't sound very hard when you think about it, but I promise, if you do it correctly, if you do this decompression breathing stuff and add it to isometric movements, it's damn near impossible to do it correctly. It's really hard, it's really challenging. So you have to learn how to use the muscle chains in your body, the posterior chain, the anterior chain, that just means back of the body, front of the body, to leverage against each other. It's not just foundation training that does this. We are one of the, we are one of the really good ways to make your body strong. And when you combine foundation training with things like yoga, which isn't just for girls, it's really, really good. In fact, it's probably much better for men than for women because men never do it because it's hard for them. Men need to learn how to do yoga. You don't need to get all spiritual. You don't have to go and om and things like that. That's not what it's about. You need to make your body strong and flexible. You got to do it well. The combination of foundation training and yoga will keep you surfing for a very, very long time. Get things like indo boards, little balancing tools to make your reflexes faster. Reflexes and balance have to do with one of the most important pieces of getting strong. All right. So a little kind of a lesson here. Balance is a process of teaching the really deep muscles in your body to react before your brain tells you it's reacting. Your multifidi muscles, your posterior tibialis muscles, which is kind of like your arch muscles, your pelvic floor muscles, what they are meant to do is stabilize you before your body goes into motion. Meaning if you're going to lift weights, if you're going to surf, if you're going to paddleboard, your body needs to know how to feel and set up for being strong before it's asked to do those things. So postural exercises are the most important component of strength in the human body. They're not the biggest. They're not the baddest. They're not the hardest unless you do them correctly. And when you do them correctly, they're really freaking hard. So postural exercise is the best way to get strong without getting big and to really notice strength that affects your performance immediately. It would be great,
0: Eric, if you could send me links to some of these exercises so we could put it in the show notes so people could check them out.
1: I'll do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I could, I could figure out that. That'd be great. So Eric, what are the best exercises that a surfer can, can do on a daily basis or, or every other day
1: to stay fit for the water injury-free? So the basic exercise you got to learn as a surfer is prone decompression. That's the one that's going to line up your rib cage and teach it to expand against the strength of your abdomen and against the strength of your back muscles. It's literally creating a resistance training system within your rib cage and the torso around it. That's a biggie. So I want you to spend at least the next week or so every day practicing that prone decompression exercise. Once you do that, you're going to be able to get into some of the harder exercises. Uh, a founder is a really perfect example of a full body engagement exercise where you're going to teach very deep, very challenging breathing against more or less the the heavy contraction of most of the muscles on the backside of your body, the posterior chain. So prone decompression and founders are huge. They're both available online to learn for free. Um, now, away from foundation training, you know, that's going to line your body up to be strong. Now I want you to go and do things like basic pull-ups, basic push-ups, basic planking but done well. When you're doing a basic plank, the first thing to fatigue should be your abdomen. Never your shoulders, never your triceps, never your neck, never your quads or hip flexors. It should be the center of your belly and really quite frankly the center of the whole line from the front of the rib cage to the base of the pelvis. That requires that your hands go just a couple inches forward of your shoulders and that your toes are pressed into the ground and sort of pulling towards each other. The hands and toes are really trying to compress the ground between them. That's a big part of planking, and we've got an exercise called an eight-point plank that teaches that really well also, but if you do a regular plank well, it's super effective for surfing and for keeping your body injury-free. So pull-ups, planks, founders, and prone decompression, those are four body weight simple everyday exercises you don't need to go and be able to do 50 pull-ups you need to be able to do a couple really good really slow ones with a full range of motion and try squeezing your legs together while you do them it recruits more muscles same with push-ups squeeze the legs in make the entire body work for the push-up little things actually i'll send you a link to a video that johnny gannon and i did just a little like three or four exercise video with a couple foundation exercises, and then better ways of doing push-ups. So that's a link I'll include in this as well.
0: Okay, cool. We'll post that up. What do you think about kettlebell training? I've been really into kettlebell training, Turkish get-ups, goblet squats, kettlebell swings for the last couple of months, and I'm seeing an incredible amount of functional body strength out of it. I mean, as far as my surfing goes, I've started pulling a lot of turns. Actually, in the contest this last weekend, I completely fell on my last wave. And was able to, uh, I don't even know how I did it, but, but through strength, push myself back up out of the water. And two, two weeks ago, a month ago, I probably wouldn't have made that turn. And I believe it to be because of the strength, the core body strength of, of kettlebells training. What do you think about kettlebells, their place in surf training,
1: the pros and cons? Uh, it, I think it's great. I think kettlebells, when done well, you know, that's, my, that's kind of my disclaimer for everything. Of the things you can do well, kettlebelling I think that's that might be a real word now. Is <laughs> yes, it is now. I, think, <laughs> I think kettlebelling is <laughs> the most effective artificial strength builder, meaning you're using something outside of your own body weight to make your body stronger. So and I more think that than elliptical, like more than more than the machines at the gym and Yeah, yeah, yeah. those things don't mimic natural body motion. They don't allow you to. They're too static a bar, like, a a, you know, something you have to put two hands on that is six feet long and weighs 45 pounds is not going to allow your body to really centralize its strength very well. However, that same 45 pounds and a focal point that both hands are basically next to each other grabbing forces your body to centralize its weight. Centralizing, meaning using the muscles around the pelvis to stabilize the body. When you do kettlebell swings well, pure power. If you are really concerned with becoming strong, not necessarily looking like a bodybuilder, not necessarily having the aesthetic of like a superhero, but looking very strong and feeling stronger, kettlebelling is the best thing you can do. It really is. Uh, but again, you got to take your time and learn how to do it right. You got to get, you got to get people that understand movement to teach you. Just because somebody has a certification in this or that, or just because they're a doctor or a therapist doesn't mean they get it that's one thing I've learned over the past several years it does not mean they get it education and experience and knowledge and kind of intuitive ability to see when the body's moving well or or moving in a pattern that could hurt itself. You need to be taught by somebody that has that. And there's a ton of people out there that have that. Gotcha. What's the best kettlebell exercise if you could just do one? Oh, just the basic swing, just the swing. Yeah. Well, actually, you know what the swing and the Turkish get up, uh, huh. Yeah, the Turkish getup is fantastic. I don't know if that's a kettlebell exercise, but I know kettlebells are used yep. in Turkish getups. But quite frankly, lose the kettlebell and just learn how to do it with your body weight for a month. Yeah. You know, get the movement pattern down really well. And I guarantee you, whoever does that, if you do that for one month, don't let's, let's take foundation training out of it. If you go and learn how to do a Turkish getup with just your body weight extremely well, you'll notice an improvement in your paddling and in your surfing.
0: Yeah. I love those. I do, uh, I do them three times a week now. Um, I'm up to the 50 pound bell. I think it's 48. Yeah. Um, and they kill me. I just do three on each side, uh, a couple times every couple days. And they're amazing.
1: And you don't need a kettlebell for that. You can, it is, it is just as hard to put something light, but awkward in your hand that has to be balanced and mm-hmm. do those same three. Try it that way. I will try that. That sounds interesting. Don't, people think that strength only responds to resistance. And it's just like, no, no, no. Strength responds to stimulus of all different kinds. Reflexes are a huge part of strength. And that little bit of trying to balance something awkward is actually much better to your entire body than lifting a 50, kilo, a 50 pound or a 50 uh, kilogram kettlebell. Hormonally, you'll get more of the strength components, the 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 that pumped feel, the and cocktail. that kind of like, yeah, I can take I can take on the world right now. You'll get that feeling from the fifty pound weight. The calm, steady beta wave brain of a really high level, gifted athlete comes from balance, not from strength.
0: Well, here's something really interesting, Eric. So. Before I got into stand-up paddle surfing, I did a lot of work on BOSU balls, balance, Mm -hmm. squats, all sorts of stuff on BOSU balls. Cut to a year after being dedicated to stand-up paddle surfing, my balance is not wired for standing on a BOSU anymore. And it's incredibly difficult for my brain to comprehend the difference in movement of how a BOSU ball reacts and a stand-up paddleboard reacts. Do you run the risk of having your your mind get confused and… Uh, and
1: not, not make the correct corrections. All right. So you're not gonna, you're not going to confuse your brain. Yes. The brain can be confused by learning to balance on one thing and then having to shift to another. The best way to do it though, is not to avoid learning to balance on other things. It's to continue learning to balance on more things. Slacklining, I think is one of the coolest things that the body can adapt towards. It's like learning how to tightrope. The more you practice it, the more you really start to notice this center line, like 360 degrees, very tightly wrapping your spine from the pelvis to the neck, you feel all of these muscles starting to turn on, trigger, open up a little bit, kind of activate. And as that happens, you notice a really big translation to sports. Will it potentially make you have to change the way that you balance on a stand-up paddleboard or on a BOSU ball? Perhaps. But as you learn to balance on those things, it's going to build more neural pathways, more physical understanding of how to do that. The more of those skills that you develop, the better you're going to be as you practice the individual thing. Like I mean, paddleboarding is the example. The more you practice paddleboarding and still use things like a BOSU ball and a slack line to improve your balance. But again, yeah. paddleboarding is the most frequent thing you do your body's going to really improve in that direction.
0: Gotcha. Well, that makes sense. You know, one of the common themes in these interviews that we're doing here on the Paddle podcast is that um, stand-up paddle surfing has really helped shortboarding and vice versa of all the athletes. Everyone feels like, a common theme is that everyone feels like their surfing is better because of stand-up and their stand-up is better because of surfing. And that probably has something to do with that correlation which you're talking about right there, just the mind being able to be a little bit more uh, reflexive, responsive.
1: Absolutely. I think as the body is challenged, it gets stronger. And adding stand-up paddling to a short borders arsenal is going to just make their body better. It's going to make it more reactive. It's going to make it better at balancing. And it's also going to give them more power in paddling on both things their prone paddling is going to improve because of the lat strength from stand-up paddleboarding, and their stand-up paddleboarding is going to improve because of the lat strength and tricep strength from prone paddling. Gotcha. So, yeah, they they work really well together. I've had that experience myself. I should not have learned shortboarding as quickly as I did for the amount of time that I was surfing before I did it, but then I bought myself a stand-up paddleboard and started paddling, like, daily, and for a couple years, and then all of a sudden... I could get into waves that I wasn't getting into before on a short board and I kept going shorter and shorter on boards and all of a sudden I was like, oh wow, I can ride these little five ten, five eleven now. That's like a whole different ball game for me. Yeah, I've had that same experience, no question.
0: Yep. So you have trained a lot of incredible athletes, but you have also trained with some <laughs> incredible athletes and I know that you've
1: trained with Laird Hamilton a good bit. What's that experience like? Uh, it's, well, I'll tell you one thing. It's kind of invite only. And I got the invite. It was pretty cool. Uh, and, and more through his wife than through him, uh, Gabby and I became friends and she's a big fan of foundation training. Uh, so I got to meet and and hang out with Laird at their house several times and did this crazy pool workout many times with them. It's insane what those guys can do in the water. That's all I can say about it. You can hold their breath for longer than I expected people to be able to hold their breath for. <laughs> And they can do it repetitively and then jump in and out of ice baths and saunas and all kinds of crazy stuff. And they do it because they understand, you know, Laird in particular really understands the adaptability of the human body. He lives it. He breathes it. Uh, he's the only athlete that I have ever worked with that I am still legitimately intimidated by because his body has different natural gifts than anybody I've seen. That says a and lot seen because
0: a... you've worked with an incredible amount yeah. of... Top level I've worked with
1: yeah, I've worked with professional and Olympic athletes in every sport for the, I mean, pretty much every sport, the ones we've all heard of. And what I see in a guy like Laird is somebody that instead of pushing his body directly towards the path of stronger, 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 he looked at it as I need to train my stress response. I need to train my nervous system to handle the crazy shit that I'm going to throw at it. And he did, and he does, and into his fifties he continues to. And he has a following of people that train him, train with him and watch him because he's always looking for new stuff. He's always looking for the best things out there. And I'm certainly not going to say that he's sitting there singing the, the praises of foundation training. We're like three steps behind him as far <laughs> as physical, you know, we're not going to make that huge of an impact on a guy like Laird, but when he's in pain, I help him with foundation training stuff if he asks for it, you know, gotcha. as far as big, physical ability, that guy's just, he's on another level. Oh,
0: what are the big takeaways from training with him? What are the, uh, the exercises, the things that you've applied to your daily practice after, after working with him,
1: more apnea training, you know, mm-hmm. more breath holding and breath holding, not in a peaceful state, but instead keeping a peaceful state under duress, under challenge, under conditions that you just don't really, what the hell am I doing right now? Why am I doing this? Oh, that's right, to get stronger with my lungs and to calm down while I'm doing it. Because that's the only rational explanation you have when you find yourself 12 foot under a pool with weights in your hand, walking back and forth, listening to classical music, oddly enough, playing under the water. And (laughs) you realize after like the third or fourth or 20th time, oh, I get it relax you're doing the hardest stuff in the world to teach your body to calm down and it's really really cool and that's the biggest takeaway i got from all the training he does and from listening to the people that have trained with him many many more times than i have uh and him it's him and this guy darren O'Lean, who's who should be mentioned also who kind of run the workouts and everybody just tries to keep up as close as they can and nobody comes anywhere near <laughs> no one even comes close no, of course not. <laughs> not not the not the way that I, you know, I'm I consider myself like a reasonably fit and strong yeah. guy.
0: If you guys don't know Eric, exactly. Eric's Eric's pretty darn good shape, I mean.
1: These guys are he's ridiculous, man. These guys are ridiculous. But I I admire them, like legitimately.
0: Anything else any other really cool exercises that they do that that you don't see many other people practicing?
1: Not, I mean, there are, but not that can be easily defined. I would say that they really take advantage of tools like indo boards and kettlebells and one-legged patient exercises and deep patient stretches. You know, every stretch is done for 10 full inhales and exhales. You know, little things like that, that people might think that you have to go fast to be strong and they definitely do at times challenge their speed, but you actually have to go really slow to be strong. That's kind of how it works.
0: So as far as a takeaway from this podcast, Eric, what can folks, paddleboarders or surfers think about and focus on, um, after listening to this, that'll make them better in the water?
1: Well, it'll be cool because it's pretty much the same advice for both. Just one is prone and one is vertical. Okay. Okay. And what you gotta do is you gotta pay really close attention to how you lift your head up, how you kind of tell your body to go forwards. What most people do is they try to look up by tightening the back of their neck, using the muscles in the back of their neck to look up. What I want all of you to practice, whether you're looking up from a standing position, paddling out towards the horizon line, whether you're paddling into a wave or prone paddling, you know, out past a set, just going out for a paddle out, whatever, When you look up to the horizon line, I want you to look up from your chest, pulling your chest up away from the board, not hyperextending your spine. This is why you got to learn that prone decompression video. You have to learn to lift the weight of your torso with more muscles, to lift the weight of your head and to look up with better muscles than just the back of your neck. The muscles on the front of your neck should actually be lifting your head, pulling your nose away from the board or pulling your nose away from the horizon line when you're paddling all right that's going to stabilize the entire body better and it's going to make more biomechanics efficient in the body every time you practice that so learn that prone decompression video learn basic foundation training and use more muscles whether you're surfing or paddling if you do it well enough it's almost always enough to keep you super strong and surfing for a really long time
0: what are the most important muscle groups to train for explosive, uh, surfing. I'm not talking about paddling at this point. I'm talking about on the wave surfing.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, you gotta. So again, it's a really simple definition of what the core of the body is. Most people think of everything above the pelvis, which I understand, but that's inaccurate. It's incomplete. The center of the body is the pelvis. Any muscle that directly connects to the pelvis is a controlling core muscle in the body. If you want to be a powerful surfer, if you want to be able to take bigger turns, if you want to be able to get airs and different things like that, or even just surf bigger waves and maintain stability, you have to train your posterior chain, you have to train your adductors, you have to train your glutes, all right? That's more important than any other muscles in the body for power and for stability. That's basic foundation training. It's things like Turkish get-ups. It's things like prone decompression, basic squats, Once you get your body weight down really well, and I mean really well, your body weight should be enough for a long time. But once you get bored with it, then you move on to weights or kettlebells or different things if you need to. You got to master body weight and it's harder than you think it is. That's good advice.
0: How much time should folks spend training out of the water for time in the water?
1: What's the correlation there? It depends how much you like training, but you got to do something every day. What if you Even just want to spend off. the
0: least amount of time possible training to stay in the water as much as possible? Because I think that's where most folks lie.
1: You got to, so least amount of time possible if you're, if you're still surfing. So you're in the water all the time, staying fit that way. You got to spend 10 to 15 minutes, you know what, honestly, five to 15 minutes a day. Once you have learned to do the foundation training work or, you know, a couple things like pull-ups and, kettle, and uh, kettlebell swings and Turkish get-ups you don't have to do them all at once but you have to do something that trains movement patterns in your body to remain strong and to use the strongest muscles for movement every single day Gotcha. so you got kettlebells prone decompression foundation training pull-ups all these different things done slowly and done well
0: what's your guideline on amount of training Per week, so foundation training you can do every day. But kettlebells—would you recommend doing kettlebell training every day, even if you're not sore? If rapid? you're,
1: uh, I think if you're not using too heavy a weight, that's perfectly fine. Okay, where does that you line don't necessarily you do need you, what you're going to start noticing if you do kettlebell swings every single day is you're going to start noticing the upper hamstrings get kind of sore. And you can get a little bursitis in there. So take a couple days off. When If you start getting a little bit sore, make sure you got a couple days off. Okay. And if you're going heavy, if you're going to failure in any way, shape, or form, then you need at least a few days off in between. But I'm talking about basic, gentle, reminding the body what strength feels like through a handful of motions for about 10 minutes a day. People always try to, like, uh, real quick, people have this tendency to always want to get stronger, 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 stronger. stronger, and, And the reality is that's a silly thing to do. You want to stay strong, not always get stronger. Your body is going to degenerate faster and wear out faster if you constantly push it. You have to find a balance between pushing and then relaxing. Recovery is so important in training and in surfing. And you're going to stay stronger and be able to do things longer if you recover just a little bit more than you train.
0: And so what does that mean for a time period? Give us something tangible there
1: don 't train an hour a day every single day and also surf and also you know do other stuff like there's lots of ways to be physical it 's not just training. I mean if you 've got a good sex life, you 're a really physical person. If you walk to work, you 're doing physical things you've got to keep in mind that using the body is using the body, not just surfing and paddling. So consider how physical you are. And if you're always, always physical, if you just can't think of a time when you take naps or when you really sit down to recover and lay down or get a massage, you got to start getting that stuff into your life. You have to. You need recovery time that is specific to recovering. If it's a daily 20-minute nap, cool, great. If it's a massage twice a week, another thing, wonderful. But something has to be in there. On the other end of the spectrum, if all you do is surf like two, three times a week and that's it you got to add a little bit more to your life. You got to start doing a daily routine that's going to give you some level of flexibility, strength, and fitness.
0: Because sooner or later, that's going to catch up with you.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you might not think it well. And, you know, hey, basically the longer you go without challenging yourself physically, the more important it becomes and the harder it becomes to challenge yourself physically.
0: Since we're talking about recovery, one last thing I'd like to touch on is uh, foam rolling because that's been huge for me over the last three or four years as far as being able to relax muscles uh, quickly after a workout or if I feel strained. Um, are you an advocate
1: of foam rolling? Yeah, but I think people overdo it. You do I think that foam? Yeah, it's 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 an aggressive form of massage. Okay, uh, is you're literally laying your body weight on top of something that is pretty rigid and digging in. So just keep in mind that like, as you go further down the limbs, like you're you're thighs have more meat to them than your shins and your arches and your the less meat the less muscle in an area the less it can really handle the less it's meant to absorb so you're gonna you might be doing a little bit of tissue damage or you know building up a little bit too much inflammation just be cautious when you use it use it but don't kill yourself with it you don't want to have to recover from foam rolling as well
0: gotcha what's the correct application usage for like a foam roller?
1: Uh, you know, when your hips are tight, get into a pattern of, of foam rolling the glutes and the IT bands maybe for a few minutes, once a day for like a week or two, and see how you feel after that. If you feel better, continue doing that. If you feel worse, stop doing that. That's literally like the protocol. Check in after a few days or a week or so of starting foam rolling and really determine if you feel better or worse. Your body will tell you. Most people will feel looser. They'll feel better. It does a, a great job of loosening up the fascia, but you shouldn't be doing it for like an hour. You should be doing it for five, 10 minutes and really just like using it as a quick means to loosen up the muscles and the joints in the body.
0: Yeah. That's the way that I use it. it. Generally before a surf, I'll give it probably no more than two or three minutes for yeah. my uh, like shoulder blade area and then middle back are the two big ones. That's Sometimes actually my really- glutes-
1: you answered that better than I did. What Eric just said is the right answer. Use it as a, as a piece of a warm up, in a sense. Gotcha. You know, I think a lot of people use it once their body's really beat up, and I think if you break up the tissue initially and kind of open up the muscles initially, you're going to have better blood flow and more access to the muscles while you're doing the sport. Yep.
0: And then at times when I finish training, if I, if I finish and I kind of felt something, some little kink in a muscle. I'll try to go roll that out before it becomes something bigger, a bigger issue. But I never spend more than probably five minutes on it ever. Um, mm-hmm. It's a, it's it's just a kind of a applied when necessary type of thing for me. Yeah.
1: If you read my first book, I have an entire section on foam rolling, and it it was there because the publisher asked, <laughs> basically said, "Oh, by the way, people are putting foam rolling in books. We need to do that too." And I was young and silly, <laughs> didn't fight back. <laughs> Uh, but that's okay (laughs) the next book's better it doesn't have foam when do we expect the next book (laughs) uh i got a couple coming out i got one at the end of this year and i got a a biggie with our our wonderful friend karen uh coming out kind of early to mid next year with harper collins so that's going to be the one that that's the philosophy book that's going to be the one that really uh helps people understand why the why and how to decompression breathing and, and what we call anchoring the pelvis which Are the two fundamental principles of foundation training
0: yeah well so so since you dropped karen's name karen is a great mutual friend of both of ours it's how eric and i know each other um she's been coming down to costa rica for a while brought eric down and we ended up surfing together and then eric ended up helping me a ton with my back uh but she has uh published an incredible amount of awesome books and did eric's first book and now your third book is in process right now i guess
1: yeah yeah, we're about to finish writing it. Uh, I mean, we've pretty much written—I'd say eight of the eleven chapters now—and be done within a month and a half, two months of the writing. It's a cool process to write a book. Just you know, I got—I feel really lucky to be able to do that. That somehow got to got to meet people that were interested enough in in my view of the body to actually put that out there. So we love you, Karen. I love you very much and appreciate the uh, introduction to Surfing Nassara and Eric as well right on <laughs> uh you have yes, clo- a listener doesn't be super stoked <laughs>
0: <laughs> um any closing thoughts for for everyone there eric what do you want to leave everyone with and i and I would love to get you back on at some point in the future i'm putting you on the spot here while we're still live because um it would be fun to maybe even when you're no sorry here do a video podcast showing some of these movements because i think people will dig them
1: yeah, that's that's easy to do. I'm gonna, you know, I'm coming down to Nosara in November. I can't wait to get down there and have a good surf trip. Um, but l- closing advice is really simple. Uh, if I had never invented foundation training and put this thing together, it's exactly what I would be looking for if I was in your position, which I kind of am. I want to paddle better. I want to surf better. I'm always wanting to feel better. I know we can feel better, and I love teaching people the simple process of doing that. So go learn foundation training. Just do it, learn it. It's good for you. I hope you do. Cool.
0: Awesome. Thank you very much for the time, Eric. Um, Folks, I will put all these links to videos and references in the show notes so you have an easy way to go through them. And I do really recommend you learning as much as you possibly can from Eric. There's not a lot of people that I really follow everything that they do. And Eric is one of those folks. So whenever he's got a new idea, I want to learn it as soon as possible and see if it applies to what I do. And I don't know, 85% of what he's into does apply to what we all do. So uh, Eric, thank you again. And um, everybody, thanks for tuning in. We appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks, man. It's the Paddle Podcast.
0: Dedicated to high-performance stand-up paddle surfing. Our mission is to debrief the visionaries, innovators, and athletes leading the charge to define paddle-enhanced surfing.